Hello, Campus Cronies. Welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Nicole Turner, full-time college administrator, part-time college professor, but always a true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from 1 to 5 on my serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to 5 being very serious. This episode is rated a 5. When Allie Costell, a 21-year-old junior attending Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi, texted her on-again, off-again romantic interest, Brandon Thiesfeld, and told him she might be pregnant, he did not take the news well, to say the least. Ultimately, Thiesfeld would prove to be the coward that he is and take Allie's life, but not before months of icing her out and deflecting the situation at hand. This episode is titled Allie's Story a tragedy of Shakespearean proportions. So without further ado, let's get started. Alexandria Madison Costell, who was known to most as simply Allie, was born on September 11, 1997, to parents Keith and Cindy Costell. Allie grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and attended Lindbergh High School, where she was active in many things, including cheerleading, track and field, youth in government, the school golf team, and she was also inducted into the National Honor Society. According to her obituary, quote, Allie radiated love and light to all those around her. She loved animals, was a beloved babysitter, lifeguard, yoga enthusiast, and an accomplished half-marathon runner. Her sweet sparkle lives on through the lives she touched. She forever changed the world for the better, end quote. And Allie did shine bright as she most definitely touched numerous lives. One of her high school friends, Casey Hendrickson, told People.com, quote, She was always happy, always so positive through every situation, no matter how crappy it was. She was like, this is okay. The sun will come out tomorrow. She was a ray of sunshine. She gave everyone the benefit of the doubt. She was so kind to everyone, end quote. Another one of Allie's friends from high school, Samantha Martin, said, quote, she was just a kind person. She had a beautiful soul. She made sure everyone was included. She never, ever met a stranger and was just such a bright light in our lives, end quote. Upon graduating high school, Allie's dream was to go to a four-year university where she could get the full-on college experience. Her parents told Michelle Miller with 48 Hours that she wanted to attend a Southern college rooted in rich traditions. She wanted to join clubs and organizations. She wanted to become a member of a sorority, and she wanted to go somewhere with a good football team. So when she found out she was accepted to the University of Mississippi in Oxford, she was ecstatic. 
She was so excited to officially be going to Ole Miss, a place she dearly loved. Allie chose to major in marketing at Ole Miss, and it was during her freshman year in the fall of 2016 that she first met Brandon Thiesfeld, a Southern boy with a Southern charm from Fort Worth, Texas. Exactly the type of guy Allie was looking for. Her friends and family said that was part of the college experience she was wanting, to find a nice, charming Southern young man. She had aspirations of falling in love and getting married and having children. You know, what nearly every young woman Allie's age dreams of. So Allie fell head over heels for Thiesfeld, and after she joined the Alpha Phi sorority, she invited him to a sorority dance in which he gladly accepted. Much of Allie's freshman year is documented in photos that she took with Thiesfeld at different events and social gatherings. In one picture from December 21st, 2016, the two can be seen standing next to each other, both wearing lays from a luau-themed party. In another photo, they can be seen standing side by side, with Thiesfeld sporting a button displaying the logo of Allie's sorority, Alpha Phi. But Allie's friends had issues with Thiesfeld and how he treated her from basically the jump. That's because he wasn't kind to Allie. He took advantage of her and basically used her affection as an ego booster for himself. According to several of Allie's friends, he treated her poorly and he'd often say hurtful, degrading things to her. For example, when one of Allie's best friends from high school, Maddie Norris, went to visit her at Ole Miss, Allie was excited to introduce Maddie to Thiesfeld. But Maddie said the whole time she was visiting her friend, he never came around. Maddie explained that this did hurt Allie a lot because, you know, he was basically MIA the whole time. Maddie said she was a little concerned about the relationship, about how much Allie liked Feastfield when, you know, he really didn't appear to reciprocate those same feelings. But Maddie also said that she wasn't too worried about it because Allie still seemed very happy and she was thriving in college. She loved college. According to an episode of 48 Hours titled What Allie Didn't Know, Allie and Thiesfeld dated casually during their freshman year, but he eventually ghosted her and the two stopped talking for a while. In fact, Thiesfeld's attorney, Tony Faris, said, quote, I think she was more enthralled with Brandon than Brandon was with her, end quote. Apparently, according to Faris, Allie would text Thiesfeld a lot like multiple times a day and late at night when she was, you know, like out drinking or hanging out with her friends. And I guess Thiesfeld got annoyed or something, so he ended up blocking her number during their sophomore year at Ole Miss. But during their junior year, something shifted in their relationship once again, and the two started talking and casually dating for a second time. And when I say casually dating, it was basically a friends with benefits type of situation. At least that was the way Thiesfeld looked at it. Allie, on the other hand, still really liked him. She had feelings for him, and it seemed like she wanted to be in a committed relationship with him. Faris said, quote, I think she saw this as a mutual romantic endeavor, and Brandon did not see it that way, end quote. So, completely from my perspective and my own personal conclusions, dude was totally leading her on for one reason and one reason only to get a piece of you-know-what, even though he knew Allie liked him way more than he liked her. To me, this is the scummiest, most degrading and misogynistic thing one person can do to another. 
I mean, why keep stringing someone along and treating that person like complete shit when you clearly know that you do not feel the same way about that person as that person does about you? I seriously don't get it. And it makes me so, so sad and mad and just sick for Allie. Like, who do you think you are, you privileged, spoiled brat, son of a bitch? (sighs) Sorry, y'all. I get a little worked up about that kind of stuff. Anyway, according to one of Allie's best friends, Morgan Hall, Allie and Thiesfeld never officially dated. Morgan told 48 Hours, quote, They were never boyfriend and girlfriend. They didn't go on dates, like he didn't pick her up, take her out to dinner, none of that. But he would tell her that he wasn't good enough for her, and that's why they couldn't be together, end quote. And the real trouble between Allie and Thiesfeld started their junior year when they were engaging in this one-sided, no-strings-attached type of relationship. According to the reporting of Diane Herbst for People.com, Allie told Thiesfeld on April 12, 2019, that she might be pregnant. Two days later, she sent him a photo of an inconclusive pregnancy test, and she told Thiesfeld that she wanted to talk about it. On April 14th, Allie sent him a text saying, quote, Like, it's a very faint blue line, but I don't know, I can wait and see if my period comes, end quote. Thiesfeld responded, saying, quote, well, all right, we will see, but if it is pregnant, we are not keeping. We can get a pill, end quote. And it was later revealed that Thiesfeld's internet searches during this time included abortion pills and abortion services. So from the moment Allie told him she thought she might be pregnant, Thiesfeld told her that he didn't want her to keep it and that an abortion was the only option. But Allie did not agree to that option at all. She sent him another text saying, quote, I'm not saying what I am going to do because I don't know what's happening. But even if you don't want to be involved, like I am really pretty and sweet and I know I will meet a real man one day, end quote. To that message, Thiesfeld responded, quote, I'm serious. No kid at all. It will ruin my life, end quote. Um, okay, dude, because clearly you're the only one affected by this situation at all. Yeah, got it. Anyway, after that, according to Allie's friends, Thiesfeld would either ignore her texts completely or he would say like, okay, I'll come over tonight or I'll come over tomorrow or, you know, he would give her a specific day, but then that specific day and time would come and go and he would never show up. Over the next three months, so that was in April, so from April to July, the communication between Allie and Thiesfeld was strictly electronic via text messages. According to Allie's closest friends, whom she confided in often, she took a couple more pregnancy tests and each one came back inconclusive. Regardless, Allie repeatedly requested to meet up with Thiesfeld to discuss the possibility of her being pregnant. And naturally, her texts became more urgent the further along she thought she was getting. She even sent him a picture of her stomach a couple of times where she appeared to have a little baby bump. Eventually, though, on Friday, July 12th, 2019, Thiesfeld responded to Allie and told her there was no need to meet up. According to a forensic psychologist who was interviewed for 48 hours, Chris Mahondi, the text exchanges between Allie and Thiesfeld appeared very one-sided, mostly initiated by Allie with very little in return from Thiesfeld. The psychologist said, quote, It appears that he has no desire to keep her on the sideline from what I've seen in these communications. He's communicating just enough for a purpose to try to influence her into terminating the pregnancy, if indeed she is pregnant. 
That seems to me to be his only investment in any of these communications, end quote. Still, whatever was happening with Allie, her feelings and emotions were at an all-time high, especially as Thiesfeld was pressuring her to have an abortion. In one message she sent to him, Allie told him that in a 48-hour time frame, she had drank a full bottle of tequila, two bottles of champagne, seven beers, and a glass of wine. Basically, she was trying to convey how self-destructive she was, and she told him perhaps the alcohol would take care of the pregnancy on its own. Now, that is a lot of alcohol for anyone, but let alone a 21-year-old college student who weighs maybe 100 pounds. So, Thiesfeld's attorney, Tony Faris, said he thinks perhaps Allie was simply trying to get Thiesfeld's attention and that the actual amount of alcohol consumed was much less than what she was really telling him. Regardless, Thiesfeld began to spiral. On July 12, 2019, after Allie sent him two more photos of ambiguous home pregnancy tests, Thiesfeld loaded up into his black Ford F-150 pickup truck and made the eight and a half hour drive from Oxford, Mississippi, back to his hometown of Fort Worth, Texas. According to an article for Magnolia State Live, two days later, on July 14th, Thiesfeld posted to Snapchat a picture of a 40 caliber Glock 22 pistol with a caption that read, quote, finally taking my baby back to Oxford, end quote. And what's even more disturbing, Thiesfeld left a digital footprint that is sure to make your skin crawl. Police discovered that his web search history included things like how to get away with crimes, how to conceal crimes, how to tie people up and lure them in, and how Ted Bundy lured his victims. Investigators also discovered that he searched for silencers and suppressors for that Glock pistol. See, I told you, it's very unsettling. On July 17th, Thiesfeld traveled back to Oxford, and for the first time since their last sexual encounter in April of that year, he texted Allie asking to meet with her. He texted Allie asking her to meet with him. Then, at 1.51 in the morning on July 18th, Allie texted Thiesfeld another picture of her stomach, saying, quote, like, it isn't like I'm not that small anymore and I can pretend I'm fat right now, but I don't know, it's getting hard, end quote. But again, Thiesfeld texted her, quote, I can talk tomorrow, I'm busy today, I'm still going to have the decision of the pill, end quote. The next day, on Friday, July 19th, Allie went out with some of her friends before Thiesfeld texted her, quote, just let me know when you are back from going out. Is your house private right now? End quote. At 11.52 p.m., Allie was seen walking out of Funky's Bar in Oxford, and she headed east. She can then be seen on surveillance footage, stopping at the door of another Oxford bar, Rooster's Blues House, but instead of going in, she turned around and walked out of camera view. Allie reappears on surveillance at 11.57 p.m. when she got into an Uber, a silver minivan, that was seen driving away. At around 12.10 a.m., now on July 20th, 2019, Allie arrived at her apartment, according to her roommates, which was the last time she was seen alive. That night, well, technically that morning, Thiesfeld drove to Allie's apartment and picked her up. Though her roommates had no idea she left again for the night, Allie and Thiesfeld left around 1.30 a.m. and drove about 30 miles away to Sardis Lake. According to two district attorneys who interviewed with 48 Hours, at this point, 
Allie was most likely under the impression that Thiesfeld really wanted to, you know, finally have a conversation to talk about the pregnancy and come to a mutual agreement on the situation. But Thiesfeld, on the other hand, was thinking that he didn't want any witnesses around when she got in the truck with him, which, you know, is why he went to her place in the wee hours of the morning. Thiesfeld drove Allie to the lake. They headed to an abandoned fish camp that was tucked away in a dark and desolate area. According to KMOV, a CBS station in St. Louis, the location was a remote area known for fishing, and also Ole Miss students would often ride ATVs there. Thiesfeld and Allie parked at the fish camp, got out of the truck, and then sat outside at a picnic table. According to Thiesfeld's attorney, he had been drinking that whole day, and so had Allie. I'm not sure how long they were out there, but at some point, Thiesfeld went to his truck, did some cocaine, and grabbed the gun he had brought back with him from Texas. Thiesfeld then fired a shot across the lake, which startled Allie, naturally, as she said, quote, Are you crazy? End quote. Then Thiesfeld pointed the gun at Allie and started shooting. According to 48 Hours, Thiesfeld circled her with the gun, shooting as he made his way around the entire picnic table. Y'all, he ended up shooting her at least eight times execution style. And after? Well, he just left her there as the piece of shit got back into his truck and made the 20-minute drive back to Oxford. The next morning, at about 10.30 a.m., an officer on routine patrol discovered Allie's lifeless body near that picnic table on the north shore of Sardis Lake. They were quickly able to identify her because her navy blue purse was lying on the ground beside the picnic table, which included both her Ole Miss ID and her driver's license. When police began calling her friends and investigating exactly what happened to Allie, her friends couldn't even tell them Brandon Thiesfeld's last name, even though they were certain he must have had something to do with it. One of her best friends at Ole Miss, Morgan Hall, told 48 Hours, quote, It's so odd that we were her best friends, and we still really didn't even know him that well. When this happened, we didn't even know his last name, end quote. Regardless, police were led to Thiesfeld right off the bat. That's because they discovered Allie's Apple Watch, which revealed text messages that painted a picture of how tumultuous her and Thiesfeld's relationship was. At first, though, police just wanted to talk to Thiesfeld, you know, bring him in for questioning. So when they reached out to him, he made up excuses as to why he couldn't meet for the remainder of the weekend. But, he said, he would go to the station at 8.30 Monday morning on July 22nd. Meanwhile, after he literally murdered another human being, Thiesfeld went on about his normal life. He first texted a friend and asked if he could hang out at his place because at his apartment, he told his friend, an exterminator was there and, you know, he couldn't be there during that time. Which clearly was a blatant lie, but whatever. Then he and his friends just hung out. They went bowling. The next day, on Sunday, July 21st, he went to another friend's apartment using the same excuse with that exterminator thing. This time, though, Thiesfeld showed up carrying a gun and a six-pack of beer. His friend later told police that Thiesfeld went inside, unloaded the gun in the house, and then the two of them drank the beer that he had brought. The next morning, when the friend woke up, Thiesfeld had already left. So, that brings us to Monday morning, when he told police that he would go to the station for questioning. Well, Monday morning came and went, and Thiesfeld never showed. 
go figure. This meant that officers needed to start tracking his phone and credit card transactions, which revealed to them that he was on I-55 headed north toward Memphis, Tennessee. He was essentially on the run. One DA told 48 Hours that this was the most common route to take if you were heading to Fort Worth, Texas, which is where they assumed he might be going. And this meant that he was now a wanted man. So law enforcement obtained an arrest affidavit and put out a bolo, a be on the lookout for Thiesfeld's personalized tags on his F-150. According to CBS News, Thiesfeld was spotted by the Memphis Fugitive Task Force about an hour to two hours later after that bolo was initiated. And shortly after that, Thiesfeld was arrested on Monday, July 22nd at a gas station in South Memphis by Memphis police in a joint operation with Mississippi law enforcement. According to District Attorney Ben Creekmore, quote, he had a 40 caliber gun consistent with the caliber of shell casings that were found on the scene, and he had blood on him, end quote. Shortly before 4 p.m. that day, 22-year-old Brandon Thiesfeld was taken into custody, booked into the Lafette County Jail, and he was held without bond. He was initially charged with Capital One murder, potentially facing the death penalty, and he was also quickly suspended from the University of Mississippi. Meanwhile, as the news started spreading about Allie and Thiesfeld's involvement in her murder, her friends took to social media displaying an outpouring of grief and support. One of Allie's friends wrote on Twitter, quote, He harassed her for years, took advantage of her for years. I spent countless nights holding Allie close, drying her tears about this monster for years. You deserve hell, you disgusting excuse for a human. Hashtag justice for Allie. You will never diminish her sunshine. End quote. Another one of Allie's friends and sorority sisters, Cassidy Desnoyer, penned a tribute to Allie on Facebook. She said, quote, I'm so grateful that I got to know Allie throughout high school and we shared so many memorable experiences at Ole Miss together. From road tripping down to Oxford to being my Alpha Phi sister, I will cherish all the memories we had together. She was the brightest light and always had a smile on her face. She truly was a ray of sunshine. My heart and condolences go out to the Costal family. End quote. Over the next month, investigators began forming their case against Brandon Thiesfeld. They had tons of evidence that pointed to his guilt, obviously. For starters, they had a novel of text messages, hundreds of texts, between him and Allie that revealed their toxic off-and-on relationship over the years, and how he lured her out of her apartment and into his truck the night of her murder. They also had those pictures of the gun they found inside his truck that matched shell casings from the scene, and they even found a letter in Thiesfeld's apartment that basically appeared to be a confession. The letter was handwritten and addressed to his parents. In part, it read, quote, I'm not a good person. It is not your fault. Something in me just doesn't work. I've always had terrible thoughts. I've always had these feelings. I just kind of felt off. I think this is the end for me. I'm either going to prison or going to die. I know I'm going to get caught, end quote. On August 22, 2019, a grand jury indicted Thiesfeld on capital murder charges. In Mississippi, capital murder automatically comes with the death penalty because it means the murder includes another felony. In this case, Thiesfeld not only murdered Allie, but he also lured her away from her apartment and technically kidnapped her. However, Thiesfeld's attorney argued that the murder was not necessarily premeditated. 
Instead, Tony Ferris argued, the letter Thiesfeld wrote to his parents was not a confession, but rather a suicide note. According to Ferris, Thiesfeld told him that he initially set out to get the gun so he could take his own life. Allegedly, Thiesfeld told his attorney that he even had the gun to his head, but instead of pulling the trigger, he passed out from being high on cocaine and under the influence of alcohol. Um, okay, how convenient. Anyway, the prosecutors weren't buying any of it. One prosecutor said, quote, Not saying it was smart the way he did it, but there's a pretty good indication that he was looking for a remote location so her body would not be discovered, end quote. The prosecutors argued that he was cold and calculated, and it was most definitely a premeditated murder. Prosecutor Ben Creekmore told 48 Hours that Thiesfeld's only motive was to get rid of a problem, while Tony Ferris described the whole situation as, quote, a tragedy of Shakespearean proportions, end quote. On August 27, 2021, Ferris was able to reach a plea deal with prosecutors, and Thiesfeld pleaded guilty to first-degree murder. Though he didn't receive the death penalty, the judge sentenced him to life in prison, which automatically means life without parole in the state of Mississippi. At the plea hearing, Allie's friends and family gathered in the courtroom wearing shades of pink from head to toe, Allie's favorite color. Witnesses who attended the plea hearing said Thiesfeld never showed any emotion until he stood up in front of the judge and read a statement aloud, at which point he broke down in tears. In part of his statement, Thiesfeld said, quote, My actions have forever changed your lives and my family's lives. I wish I could take it all back, but I can't. There is no excuse for my actions, and I have asked God for forgiveness. I hope one day that you will find it in your hearts to forgive me, end quote. Now let's go to the question that has been on all of your minds. Was Allie pregnant when Thiesfeld killed her? Well, no. Medically, Allie was not pregnant at the time of her murder. However, this does not mean she was not pregnant at all. According to her mom, Cindy Costell, Allie experienced some bleeding in early July of 2019, and they think she might have had a miscarriage at that time. But Allie's friends and family still keep her memory alive, and they are reminded of her when they look up at the sky and see a breathtaking sunset. You see, Allie was obsessed with beautiful, colorful sunsets, and she even had an Instagram account that she called Sunsets by Allie, where she would take countless photos of sunsets and post them to the account with captions of the city and state where she took the photos. Her most recent posts before she was killed were from October of 2018. One was captioned Oxford, Mississippi, USA, and the other Austin, Texas, USA. One of Allie's closest friends from college, Elizabeth Brock, said it best when she said, quote, So every time we see a sunset or a pink sunset, we're like, that's Allie, end quote. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 39. As always, be sure to check out my social media where I always post photos associated with each case and episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Podcast on Instagram and Campus Crime Chronicles on Facebook. So check me out on there and let me know what you think of this week's episode. You can also reach me by email at campuscrimepodcast at gmail.com and be sure to keep checking out my TikTok for some additional campus crime stories that, you know, you may or may not have heard before. Okay, well, that's all for today. So bye for now. 
Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Giari Gassaway. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle.